Our scripture reading for today comes from John 12, 20 to 26, and 44 through 46. Now, now among those who went up to the worship at the fellowship, at the festival, were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servants also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light to the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining us at First Methodist Church, both at our Canyon campus and online. I wanted to start today with a difficult question, a question that you were asked last week. If you knew that this was the beginning of your last week on earth, how would you spend it? I want you to think about that. If you knew you only had seven days left, what would you do? What would you not do? What would you say? What would you just decide not to say? I think probably all of us would, would answer that question differently, but I also think all of us would probably live this week differently than any other week we've ever lived if we knew it was going to be our last week on earth. And what I appreciate so much about God's word is in, in all of the gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get to see, we get to witness how our Savior Jesus chose to live his last week on this earth. And I think that, that everything that took place within those last seven days were intentional and were wrapped up in purpose. So last Sunday, we looked at, we, we looked at the, the, the first day of Jesus' last week. We looked at Sunday. We, we witnessed how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Now, we, as a church, we traditionally call that Sunday Palm Sunday. And most of us know the story about how, how Jesus rode into Jerusalem and how people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and how they would spread out their garments and spread out palm branches in the hopes that this, that this rabbi named Jesus would, would enter into Jerusalem and free them from their captives. We know the significance of that day. But do you know the story about Monday? Do you know what happened the next day? Because Monday is another key part of Jesus' last week on earth. So let me ask another, maybe even more painful question. What do your Mondays look like? I don't know about you, but that my Mondays I call meeting Mondays. Because typically my Mondays are full of meetings from the time that I get into the office to, to well after closing time, usually around seven, maybe eight o'clock, I get home after meeting Monday. 
And I can just tell you, even for an extreme extrovert like me, after a meeting Monday, I need some alone time. Okay, I just need some time to not talk to anybody or look at anybody. <laughs> anybody else have a Monday like that? Anybody? Oh, everybody in here love? Okay, amen, thank you. It's an honest person over here. Everybody else in here loves Mondays, evidently. We're gonna hold you to that too. But this Monday, this Monday of Jesus's over 2,000 years ago was not like a typical Monday. It was full of grandeur. It had amazing splendor. If we look at it with the right perspective, it's holy. So often, because our Mondays are like meeting Mondays, we wanna, we wanna rush past them and get to the fun part of the week, get closer to, to Friday, but I'm gonna urge us today to linger on this Monday because if we don't linger, if we don't slow down, we're gonna miss the significance of this day because this Monday signaled a significant change in history. See, there have been signs throughout the, the gospel of John anticipating this day. And now the signs, they're, they're finished and the actual day has dawned. So I want us again to look at this significant day. I want us to read again our, our scripture for today. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I don't know that anyone sees what just happened here, because I think if we understood what just happened here, we would, we would hear some amens and some hallelujahs, and that's okay, because it's... it's it's not obvious. Just like a Monday, you gotta have to slow down and be intentional if you wanna enjoy it, if you wanna get something out of it. But with some understanding, I think we're gonna see that in these four verses, these four verses we are witnessing a collision of history. It says there that there were some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. The verb in the original language, it actually implied that, that these Greeks believed and were seeking discipleship. They wanted to be Jesus' disciples because they had decided to believe in him. And the text says that they, that they want to see, that these people who want to see are Greeks. Now, I don't want you to think of Greeks as in people who are from Greece, the term used here that is translated as Greek was actually meant to, to imply that these are non-Jews, that these are Gentiles, that some Gentiles wanted to see Jesus. Some Gentiles believed in Jesus and wanted to see him. So here's the context. Here's what's unusual. We're at a, in the context, we're at a, a festival called Passover, which is a Jewish festival. And here in the context of this Jewish festival, we have some non-Jews who come to see Jesus. And on the surface, this is where maybe, maybe you're sitting, on the surface, the, this interaction with these Greeks is, is kind of weird, if we're going to be honest. Because they went to Philip, 
And Philip was like, I don't know what to do with these Greeks. And so Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew was like, uh, I guess we'll take them to Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew take them to Jesus, and, and Philip and Andrew introduce them to Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, here's some Greeks, here's some non-Jews that say they believe in you, that want to be your disciples, and this is how Jesus responds. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. <laughs> what? I mean, just, just think, that's, that's weird, right? That's weird. When you're, when you're being introduced to somebody, when, when, you, when you take a friend, you say, hey, this is my friend, and, and friend, this is my other friend. You say, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Or maybe you would even ask a question. Maybe Jesus could say, hey, uh, Mr. Greek and Mr. Greek, how did y'all hear about me? How did you come to believe? That would be a normal interaction. You don't normally meet somebody and say, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But that's exactly what Jesus does. And in fact, we don't even hear from the Greeks after that. that, that, that that's it. And so when something is weird like that, when, when something doesn't quite work out in, in, in Scripture like you think it normally would, it's really important, like we said, to, to slow down, not just to skip it and say, well, that was weird. I wonder why Jesus was being weird. No, you should wonder why Jesus was being weird. You should stop and say, that doesn't make sense. I want to dig into that until it does make sense. So again, Jesus just simply says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We don't hear from the Greeks. We don't know uh, if they asked him any questions. We don't know uh, if they stated why they came and why they wanted to see him. They just, we just simply find out that Jesus believes the hour has come for him to be glorified. And again, we need to slow down when stuff like that doesn't make sense. Because there's something hidden there that I believe was intentionally phrased and took place that way so that we might slow down, that we might dig in and dig a little deeper to see what's going on. We need to ask ourselves, why does John decide to mention these non-Jews who come to see Jesus and then just, for whatever reason, we just never hear from them again? Why does, why does John respond that way? Why does he include that in his gospel? But again, if, if we know the story, if we look at the gospel of John uh, as, a, as a whole, if we look at it from a 30,000 foot view, we're gonna see some interesting things. We're gonna see that in chapter two of John, Jesus is invited to a wedding. Do you remember this story? Jesus was invited to a wedding and they run out of wine. So, so Jesus' mother Mary tells Jesus, hey, we need some more wine. And what does Jesus say? Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Now, don't get caught up in the woman thing. Jesus was not being disrespectful. That would have been a common way for him to, to refer to his mother, okay? But what does he say? The hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But then if you keep reading in John and you'll get to chapter, John chapter four and, and Jesus encounters the woman at the well. 
Do you remember this story? And the woman at the well, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when, they will, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And then you keep reading and you get to, to John chapter 5. And again, Jesus says, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And then again, in John chapter 5, you hear, do not be astonished at this for the hour is coming. And then in chapter 7 and chapter 8, two times when the leaders are trying to arrest him, it says, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. He spoke these words, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Is anyone sensing a pattern? Do you see the pattern? Do you, what's, the, what's the key verse in all of those? What's the key word? Hour. It's like John is building his gospel towards a specific moment. His hour isn't come. His hour isn't come. His hour isn't come. His hour isn't come. And then finally in chapter 12, when these outsiders, when these non-Jews, when these Greeks say, we believe in Jesus and we want to see him, we want to be his disciples, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All the gospel of John has been building to this moment when these non-Jews, when these Greeks meet Jesus to tell him that they are believers. Something has changed significantly in, these, in this moment. The, the, the Greeks' arrival is a signal that Jesus' glorification is now here. He has now completed his mission and he is no longer the Messiah and the savior of just the Jews. This is a signal. This is a proclamation that he is clearly the savior of the world. And that is, that is communicated when these Greeks come and see. The hour has come. Now the question to you, will you come and see? Will you miss this hour? Or will you be like these Greeks who decide to believe so that they can see? Come and see. Come and see. That's another one of those words that we should pay attention to. Because we see that same phrase played out in chapter 1 of John when, when Nathaniel asked Philip about Jesus. Philip tells Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. And Nathaniel had to take time to act. He had to decide to take action in order so that he could see. He had to take a step of faith first so that he could see. See, what, what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that the, the world says seeing is believing. But I disagree with that. Seeing doesn't lead to believing. Believing leads to seeing. I think some people are writing that down, so let me say that again. The world says seeing is believing, but I don't, I don't agree with that. Seeing doesn't lead to believing. Believing leads to seeing. And we see Jesus telling us what is going to happen. So I want us to read again verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Jesus is trying to tell us, trying to tell those who, who are listening how he is going to die. And he's showing them what it means to be a true disciple. But then in the very next verse, we have something else that, that ought to just stagger us when we read it. Because we, we see Jesus' human side. We see vulnerability and honesty. In the very next verse, Jesus says, my, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And what a verse to linger on. In this moment, we see Jesus' agony. In this moment, we see the weight of the glory that is being placed upon his shoulders. We see Jesus being vulnerable. We see him being honest and expressing the high price that his glorification and our salvation demands. See, the Jews, they were expecting a Messiah to come and radically save them from their oppressors to set them free from the Romans. But Jesus was a Messiah who came to, to rule and reign in a radically different way. He actually came to save them from their own sins and their own destruction. This is the hour that John's gospel has been building us towards. So again, the question comes back to us, what will we do? Now that we have read this and now that we understand the significance of this hour, how will we respond? How will we react? What actions should we take in response to, to Jesus and the hour of his glorification? Because again, another staggering moment in this gospel. Right here on this Monday, the people hear the voice of God. For the very first time in the, in the gospel of, of John, in John chapter 12, verses, verse 28, it says that, Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus had been praying out loud in agony over this hour that he was facing, an hour of both pain and glorification. But because of his solid resolve to fulfill the Father's will, he moves forward. And the magnitude of this glory and the, and the cost that was on the horizon for him, he cries out in agony and, and, and asks the Lord to, to glorify his name. And God affirms Jesus. Right there in that moment, for everybody present to hear, he says, I have glorified you and I will glorify you again. Now, here's the sad part. How do the people respond? This is the first time in the Gospel of John that, that God's audible voice has been heard. How does everybody there respond? Well, one group say that they, they thought it was thunder. They thought it was thunder. So these are the people who, who, who have no faith in miracles that only, just, only trust in science. So they dismiss it. Oh, that was just thunder. And then there are others who said that they think that an angel had been speaking to Jesus, but only 
to Jesus. So they just kind of overheard an angel speaking to Jesus. These would be people who, who have plenty to say about what other people should do, but haven't taken ownership of their own faith. Because see, as, as long as the angel was just talking to Jesus, they didn't really have to consider how what they heard might apply to them, how they might need to react to what they were witnesses to. This is, a, this is a, an illustration for us. You would think that hearing would lead to believing. But the truth of the matter is that believing leads to hearing. And this light of the world, this Jesus is here now. And the time is now for you to believe. The time is now for me to believe. It's time to stop asking for signs. Stop procrastinating. Stop asking questions. Believe and have faith and come to the light. I think that's why Jesus ultimately got frustrated and and stepped away and, and hid himself because they had just heard the audible voice of God. And what did they say? Ah, that was thunder. Give us something else, Jesus. Give us another sign. Make something else happen. Believing leads to seeing, not the other way around. Let me read for us again what what we find in, in verse 46. It says, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. Let me remind you again how John started his gospel. Verse one of one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was, he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So I want to ask you a question. How are you going to respond to this light? How are you going to respond? I want to ask you a question. Worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. I want to ask you a question to consider. What, what area of your life are you struggling to believe in? What area of your life is shrouded in darkness? What area of your life do you need help believing that God can do something about it? Maybe you're struggling to believe. Maybe you're struggling to believe that God can restore your marriage. Maybe you're struggling to believe that forgiveness is possible. Maybe you're struggling to believe that that healing is available. Maybe you're struggling to believe that salvation is available even to you. Well, for any of those struggles or or really any, any other struggle, I would say to you that believing leads to seeing. And I would encourage you to take a step of belief towards the light of Christ, inviting Christ's light into that circumstance. You know, recently, uh, we've been having a lot of, of altar calls. 
inviting people to come forward and respond to God. And I've had a couple people pull me aside and say, hey, pastor, so what you know, it's really awkward to come forward. It's really uncomfortable. I don't like, I don't like you doing that. And I, I get that. But can I just tell you, church, it's supposed to be awkward. It's a step of faith. It's that first step of believing that leads to seeing. Coming forward does nothing. It's just an expression of belief that this small, simple act could lead to significant impact in whatever circumstance you're facing. It's supposed to be awkward. If it was easy, everybody would do it, and it would take no faith. So I'm going to give you a chance today to embrace the awkwardness and invite the light of Christ into whatever circumstance you need that light in, whatever circumstances has been darkened by disbelief. I also love that we're, we're redeeming something that, that COVID stole from us. We didn't get to have our candlelight service. I don't know if y'all remember that. So we're gonna do it today. But you know, in the candlelight service, we bring the light to you, but not today. If you want this light, if you want to take that step of faith and invite Christ's light into whatever circumstance you're facing, you're going to have to come and get it. So what we're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to invite uh, Tank and uh, Kim and uh, where's Hayden at? Invite Hayden up and we're going to have two people on each side and you can come forward and then you can pick up a candle and one of us will light that candle for you and then we're going to invite you to come back to your seat. We're going to be doing this while we sing. That's how we're going to close out our service today is is embracing the awkwardness and embracing the fact that this doesn't feel like it's really doing anything, but it's a step of belief so that we might see the light of Christ in our circumstances.